This is Reset. I'm Mary Dixon, in for Sasha Ann Simons, part of live special coverage today on 91.5 WBEZ. And as you've been hearing, the Supreme Court struck down Roe v. Wade this morning. It ends 50 years of federal abortion rights in this country. Here's President Biden speaking about the ruling just moments ago. So extreme that doctors will be criminalized for fulfilling their duty to care. Imagine having a young woman have to carry the child of incest as a consequence of incest. No option. Too often the case, the poor women are going to be hit the hardest. It's cruel. In fact, the court laid out state laws criminalizing abortion that go back to the 1800s (laughs) as rationale. The court literally taking America back 150 years. Now half of U.S. states are expected to ban or restrict access to abortion. Several trigger laws have already gone into effect, but abortion remains legal here in Illinois. Later, we're going to hear from a woman who had an abortion before Roe. But first, with us to discuss the moral and public health implications of this ruling is Katie Watson. She's a bioethicist and lawyer at Northwestern University. Hi, Katie. Hi, Mary. And with us, WBEZ public health and politics reporter Kristen Schorsch. Hey, Kristen. And uh, we want to hear from you. How will the Supreme Court's decision change your life? What are you thinking about right now on this historic day? We'd like you to give us a call at 866-915-WBEZ. That's 866-915-WBEZ. So, Katie, what is your reaction to today's news? It's unbelievable that we're here, both socially in terms of women's rights and legally in terms of the court's history and the prior treatment of constitutional law. And sadly, this is five justices' own morality muscled into American bedrooms under a false pretense of constitutional analysis. Um, It's shocking. Um, The court does not, in history, retract individual rights. So this is essentially a ruling from five justices that women are not people under the Constitution. Um, the, the court relies a lot on history, um, and a history during which women didn't even have the right to vote. Um, so Justice Roberts is the sixth vote. He would have affirmed um, Mississippi's request to ban abortion at 15 weeks, but not revisited the ruling, the holding of Roe. So essentially, it's five justices overturning Roe. I don't think it will last. Um, I think this court is on the wrong side of history, um, and but things are going to get much, much worse for so many women in the United States before they get better. Um, last time you were here on Reset, you talked about fetal viability. Can you remind us about what that is? It's part of the discussion in in the opinions and, and also the dissent. Yes. So in Roe, the question was, does the Constitution protect a woman's right to not continue a pregnancy? Um, and the court had already ruled in the contraception cases, that the government couldn't prevent people from using contraception, couldn't criminalize that. And I'll say women because it was after the advent of the pill um, that folks became really concerned about contraception. Um, So the, the court 
in Roe created essentially a compromise. And it said, we recognize a state's interest in potential life, and so we'll allow states to ban abortion after viability if they make exceptions for a pregnant person's life or health, if they need a post-viability abortion. They I, said viability occurs when there, there, a fetus has um, there's a um, reasonable potential for meaningful life outside the womb, meaning if it were delivered that day, there'd be a, a good chance it could survive. And that changes with technology. And so today that's around 24 weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was a really dramatic compromise, actually, that the state could ban abortion at some point. Um, Roberts didn't like the viability line, and so he would have reversed that part of Roe's ruling. Um, but the the entire court it, it has made it irrelevant. However, state by state, individual states, and, and Illinois has done this, may adopt that viability line for themselves, recognizing that that embryo or fetus could not survive independent of that woman's body, and therefore she should be the decision maker. But after theoretically it could survive outside her, we'll let the state have more interests. That's the viability line. We're talking to Katie Watson, a bioethicist and lawyer at Northwestern University, uh, during live special coverage today on Reset. Uh, and we are taking your calls and your thoughts about today's news. Uh, 866-915-WBEZ. Elise in Andersonville has a comment. Hi there, Elise. Hi. I am absolutely distraught at this news. I, as a child, I went to a clinic event with my mom every Saturday, and I didn't think I would have to do that with my own daughter. And I really am just shocked that women's rights are being taken away from us in the same age. Uh, well, Elise, thank you for, for checking in with us today. We certainly hear you and appreciate you calling. We also have Katie in Albany Park on the line. Hi there, Katie. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, so I live in Chicago now, but I grew up in a red state, Kansas, and most of my family lives in red states where uh, abortion trigger laws uh, may go into effect today, like Oklahoma and Texas. I've known my whole life I wanted to have kids, but now I'm scared that when I become pregnant, I won't feel safe visiting my family in these states. Because what if something happens to me that affects my health um, and I need to have an abortion, an emergency abortion, when I'm visiting family in Texas or Oklahoma? It's really scary, and it would limit my ability to travel for work while pregnant as well. That is a that is a good point. Uh, thank you so much for calling in with that. Kristen Shorsh is here from WBEZ, one of our reporters. Kristen, you've been covering, you know, stories and, and reports of clinics preparing for an influx of women from out of state. And now and now we're hearing about concerns about leaving Illinois. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, the story that this woman just pointed out, I mean, is, is really interesting hearing that you could be scared to, to leave Illinois, to go into another state. You know, I, I have been talking to a number of people about their experiences and perspectives on abortion. And one person I talked about uh, or talked with is a transgendered person who had a hysterectomy in 2021 foreseeing that Roe v. Wade could be overturned. You know, really jumping ahead so that in the case of, of rape, this person wouldn't have to go through perhaps that experience and an abortion on top of that. So that was a proactive thing. But, yeah, just hearing a lot of these 
of stories. It's interesting to hear the perspective of, of if you leave Illinois, what could happen to you? Right. I, I hadn't even thought of that. Uh, Katie Watson, uh, one of the things that we're thinking about today, who has the most to lose now that abortion is no longer a constitutional right? What would you say about that? Well, obviously, people capable of pregnancy in states that will go dark um, and will um, be forced um, parenthood, forced pregnancy states, um, within those states, there will be divisions. Um, currently, we know from national data that three-quarters of people who have abortions have incomes um, below the poverty line or within that um, 100 to 200% of the poverty line. So people with very low incomes, um, they will be um, at a larger disadvantage. We know 59% of people who have abortions are already mothers that would have child care responsibilities. So there's this, Justice Kavanaugh has this incredibly glib and flip attitude that like people can just travel to New York or California or Illinois so those with means are at a significant disadvantage because they have to um, become medical refugees seeking standard of care health care in a state like Illinois, missing work and such and spending you know, ridiculous amounts of money. But the people at most disadvantage are the ones who will have trouble getting out of their own states. They will do things like order abortion pills from the Internet which can be safe when used at home in a self-managed abortion, but they won't have medical advice when they have um, normal symptoms like bleeding or in the rare cases where they have abnormal complications that require emergency care. So it'll be terrifying for them, even if it goes well medically. Others will try more dangerous methods of uh, inducing their own abortions, and others will feel no choice but to continue pregnancies they didn't want. Kristen Shorsh, you've been uh, talking with people who are in these situations or trying to help people who are going to be in these situations. Right, right. There's, you know, knowing that Roe v. Wade could be overturned, um, abortion funds that help, you know, obviously like raise money and plan logistics for people who are seeking abortions, like a ride to and from the clinic, a flight to Illinois, um, you know, a hotel stay or even offering up their own couch. They're really gearing up um, to provide even more of that support knowing, like what Katie's pointing out, that a lot of people who are having abortions are, are low income and that their ability to now get to Illinois, perhaps, could be really hampered. We are taking your calls as part of our live special coverage on today's news. The Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade at 866-915-WBEZ. And we want to hear from you. Nina, on the northwest side, uh, what are you thinking today? You know, I have to say, thank you for having me. I'm I'm not surprised, but still incredibly disappointed. And I think that my biggest takeaway here is that we, we all need to disabuse ourselves of the notion that this has anything to do with a sense of constitutionality or rule of law, that this is working as it has always been working, which is to maintain a sense of dominance and control over people who are not white, people who are poor, and women. Because if this was actually about constitutionality, democracy, and the rule of law, let's face it. Justice Thomas would not be on this court. Andy Comey Barrett would not be on this court. We would not be making the decisions or seeing the decisions that are being made today if we were actually living into a sense of democracy, equality, and liberty for all. And so I'm sitting in the car with my five-year-old daughter wondering what is going to be the case when she's a grown adult and what would she face 
I hear you, Nina. I hear your frustration. Thank you for for calling in and take care of that baby for us. Um, Bruce is also calling in from the northwest side and has a different point of view. Hi there, Bruce. Yeah, hi. How are you? Um, I think, uh, first of all, number one, I think uh, a fetus, and they have this with X-ray technology now, it is considered a living thing after I think it's about four to eight weeks. So what I don't understand is if these women have the child, there are many, many people who are seeking children who want to adopt these children. And I think if your mother did that, uh, you wouldn't be here. So I think what I'm trying to say is that there's some moral implications and it isn't so cut and dry about just simply rights. It has to do also with behavior. And, uh, you know, I'm a single guy and I don't have a woman and, you know, whatever I do, I do to relieve my frustrations. But I think when you are playing with somebody's potential life, that's when a certain moral barometer uh, uh, should be considered. Okay, well, thank you for that insight, Bruce. Katie Watson at Northwestern. Um, uh, I yes. guess you know you could say this to. is this is why Mother's Day is such a big deal. Sure. Well, so I'd love to address Bruce's point. I absolutely agree with you. There are moral implications. There's no question that a fertilized egg from day one is a living thing. It's a living cell. The question, Bruce, is who gets to make those moral decisions? And you are a former fetus, and I am a former fetus, and neither you nor I has any, you know, corner on the market of moral analysis or speaking on behalf of fetuses more than one another. That's why when we think it's not just rights, but it really is an issue of morality, to leave that assessment to the person in whom that cell, cells, embryo, fetus lives, because their moral framework is the one that is of most consequence. They're the ones who will live with the outcomes of their decisions. And so when women come to Northwestern and say, I think abortion is morally wrong, even though this pregnancy threatens my life or my health, we give them all the modern medicine so they can live their values and take the risks and live with the consequences. And when women come to us and say, this pregnancy does not fit my you know, needs to, and my ambition and my vision of my life, and I think it's morally acceptable for me to end it, we also provide the medicine they need to be safe and to live their values. So I absolutely respect your point of view. The question is less about, is this a moral issue? Of course it is. The question is who gets to decide. And what the court did today is say that women must be forced to continue pregnancies in service of the moral values of strangers. And the very last sentence I want to say is you make the completely fair point that if someone does continue a pregnancy and choose to place that child for adoption, um, there will be people to adopt it. That's absolutely true. But we have this incredible history that is not well known before Roe of people having no choice but to place children for adoption and how it devastated them for the rest of their lives, many of them, um, to be separate, not be able to raise that child, but be separated from that child. 
Um, and so we know that that harms women too. And Amy Coney Barrett, Justice Coney Barrett, um, three times comments to this idea that women could just drop a baby off at the fire station and then lean into her corporate career and the concept of motherhood wouldn't affect her at all. We just know historically is patently false. That's not the answer. Uh, Katie Watson is a bioethicist at Northwestern University. Thank you, Katie. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to live special coverage of the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. I'm Mary Dixon, in for Sasha Ann Simons. We're talking about the moral and public health implications of the Supreme Court's ruling. Let's turn now to Candace Wayne. She remembers what life was like before Roe v. Wade constitutionally protected a right to a safe abortion. Hi there, Candace. Hi, Mary. So you must have a lot on your mind today. Well, I, I'm not surprised. I expected this. This has been coming for more years than I can even remember. And um, so I was, of course, sad for a little while. And um, I, I have to say I have two daughters who are traveling together right now, 32 and 36. And they called me and the first thing they said is, Mom, how could this happen? And then they said, what can we do? So that's really what I'm focusing on, not on the sadness of it or my anger. I'm focusing on what can I do. Candace, we understand that you had an abortion before Roe v. Wade was made law at a time when it was illegal. What was your experience? What are your takeaways from that experience? Um, I was 18 in my second year of college. I, was, um, I had just begun being sexually active. And I became pregnant. There was a, a lot going on in D.C. at the time because they were arresting a few doctors, one in particular, Dr. Vujic, who I recall, um, for his abortion services. And I was I did not want to have a child and I couldn't at that point in my life. So I had to um, borrow money from a cousin that lived in New York. And um, I, my boyfriend at the time was able to find an abortionist in D.C. I have no idea if this person was a doctor. I'm pretty sure they weren't. And so I went through a whole rigmarole. I had to borrow money, wait for the money to come. I had to go. They didn't have pregnancy tests then. So I had to go and find out if I was pregnant, even though I was really sure that I was um, based on what was happening with my body. And so I went to an abortionist and you know, was taken there under very secretive kind of circumstances. And I had the procedure, and you don't want me to go into the details of that, but I got really sick after. And um, as I said, I was in college. I was working two jobs. I was working at a, a law firm at a, on a waitress at night to pay expenses, and um, I became infected after. And mm. I was too scared to go anywhere so I had to rely on the abortionist who started calling me and somewhat harassing me. And I had to rely on him for um, antibiotics. And I had to go through several rounds of antibiotics. And I eventually ended up at um, a doctor's office at the college, at the um, healthcare center where I was in college. And um, they had to do some cleaning out of my vaginal area and cervical area. And um, I was always scared after that point about whether I would be able to have a child. Um, the experience was scary to me, but I think that 
um, I've kind of let that go. And I'm more concerned now that women are going to be getting these types of procedures. And, you know, when the reporter first called me, she said, well, what did you take from this? I, what I took from this is that when an abortion is conducted under safe and legal circumstances, it's not a complicated procedure. Mm -hmm. But when it's conducted under circumstances like mine, it's very complicated. And there are women die, women get very sick. There's long term consequences of that. And so what, 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 what is it like now to know that there are going to be people who are in situations very similar to the one you were in when you, when you were 18, and they might have to have an unsafe procedure? Well, what it's like is it's, you know, it, it's terrifying to think that's going to happen, and it is going to happen. Women are not going to start, stop having abortions. What I'm hoping is that I listen to the president. I'm hoping the president does everything he can do, but more important for all of us who are concerned, we have to figure out what role we can play, whether you're sending money to abortion funds, whether you're going to help sign up to be an escort to get women into clinics, because there's going to be an increase in harassment of women going into clinics where abortions can be conducted and people can help register voters so that we can elect more pro-choice candidates who are, of course, going to be Democrats mostly. So I... And, you know, and you're, you're planning on doing some of this volunteering to help people who are trying to get abortions in Illinois. Um, what, what is that going to be looking like for you? So I've always done something on this issue since this happened to me. And so what I do, and many other people are involved in this, um, I do participate in registering people to vote. And in fact, there's a large group of us that have been going up to Wisconsin. I am, I just have been participating in training to be an escort to assist women getting into abortion clinics. So there's already harassment going on all over the country at clinics that provide services. And of course, now only you know, half half the states in the United States are going to be able to provide abortions as of the present state. But at those places, the harassment is going to escalate. So I want to be of assistance in terms of being an escort. That means the woman gets out of a car. She sometimes is accompanied by someone. You help walk her into the clinic because people are regularly showing up at places that provide abortion services, and they're harassing the women in a variety of different ways. So that's Candace Wayne. Thank you for your perspective that, you know, the pre-row time in America, it is not that, it is not that long ago. And uh, we appreciate your perspective. Still with us is Katie Watson, a bioethicist at Northwestern University, and WBEZ's Kristen Schorsch. Kristen, thoughts on Candace's story? Yeah, um, Candace has a really interesting story. I've, I've interviewed her as well, um, just describing this very 
scary experience that she went through um, that has really energized her because she felt that, you know, her, her experience having an abortion was not a good one um, in terms of just how, how, how scary it was. Um, and yes, her, her being energized to help others. I've heard that from a lot of other people that people are signing up to be helpers, so to speak. You know, they're volunteering to offer rides to people to clinics, to offer up their couches as a place to stay, um, to, you know, work at call centers and answer the phone to help plan logistics. I think we're going to see even more of that. I also think on the side of people who oppose abortion that we're going to see that movement energized even more as well. I'm Mary Dixon in for Sasha Ann Simons, and this is live special coverage of the U.S. Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. It ends the constitutional right to an abortion and gives individual states the authority to ban or limit access to abortion. That's expected to happen in half of U.S. states, including states around Illinois, where abortion remains legal. Uh, So soon we're going to talk to the executive director of the Chicago Abortion Fund, but also we want to hear from you today. This news is so big. It affects so many people in so many different ways. We're taking your calls at 866-915-WBEZ. Let's hear from Catherine in Portage Park with a comment. Hi there, Catherine. Hi, thank you so much for having me on the show. Hey. Um, I would like... uh, I'm noticing, you know, that so much of the uh, outcry and despair is coming from women. And all of many of the callers uh, who have been calling into the show are women. And those who are pledging to act are women. And I would like to invite men to join us in protest of the assault on our human rights. Is meaningful for the women in your life who are suffering and crying and beaten down by this decision to hear your voice dissenting it. And I think that you know the the woman who was just on describing all of the things that we can do to support uh, women's health care. It's not only women who can do that; it's men as well. And I'm speaking to every man listening. Act. Act for us. Don't don't stay silent. Silence is complicit. We need your help. Stand beside us. And I really hope that men will join us in our fight. Thank you, Catherine. Thanks for checking in. And we do have a, a man on the other line, Peter in River North, calling in today to WBEZ. Hi there, Peter. Hi there. How are you? Uh, just looking forward to, to chatting with you. What's uh, what's on your mind today, Peter? Well, I mean, first, I, I completely agree with the uh, the previous caller. I think, uh, you know, men and often are the ones talking too much, uh, but their voices definitely need to be heard here. I attended a, you know, pre, pre-Dobbs event a couple of days ago, and I was one of the only two men there, and I was kind of shocked because this is not a women-only uh, women thing. This is a, a rights, a human rights thing. Um, but the point I wanted to make is, you know, in listening to the president, there was one thing he didn't say that really stood out to me, which was outrage at this institution, this this so-called Supreme Court. And I say this is someone who is an attorney <clears throat> and teaches law. Um, this court has been serving in, in the kind of capacity as, as one that withdraws and takes away our rights. It doesn't do any good if, if you know, we all vote blue and vote Democrats in and then the Democrats pass a law that this uh, council of elders, five of nine of the most incredibly out of touch people you will ever possibly interact with, decide that that law is unconstitutional anyway. So I I wanna challenge people um, to think about this more broadly. Like this institution, 
when it is now no longer serving the interests of the people, the, that these institutions only have value and our laws only have value. and Our constitution only has value insofar that it is a tool to help the people, to help society, to expand our rights, to protect our rights. And this term has been one of the most absurdly regressive terms I have ever seen. So how much longer, how much longer are we, 330 million people, going to be held hostage at, at the hands and the whim of the Ipsa Dixit of, you know, just a handful of people who seem to just be, you know, asking questions of the ghost of Thomas Jefferson to figure out how we in 2022 should be living and what rights we have. And I mean, I, I think there's a, a huge disconnect, a generational disconnect between people like Joe Biden who have been, you know, languishing in D.C. And this isn't a party thing. It's a generational thing. have been languishing in Washington, D.C. for decades, you know, watching the rest of us suffer you know, giving these audacious statements about helping people and then just going to bars together. You know, when I when I see people fraternizing with the folks who are destroying our rights and I see the only thing that Congress can act to pass in quick, you know, quick, very quickly is laws to protect Supreme Court justices from being harassed in public. It shows you whose interests these people really serve, and it isn't our interest. Well, thank you for that that perspective, Peter, especially as a as a lawyer, and uh, and uh, thanks for for getting in the ipsedisit. Um, this is Reset on 91.5 WBEZ. We are carrying live special coverage here, and we're, we're talking about the U.S. Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade. Joining us now, Megan Jaffeo, Executive Director of the Chicago Abortion Fund. Welcome back to the show, Megan. Hi, thanks so much for having me. So it's it's not exactly a surprise, but wondering how you're responding to today's news. Um, you know, I I definitely took my time in the morning and had some some uh, crying moments, some some rage crying, and um, had a few minutes to process and and get myself together. Um, but our entire team went right back to work, um, fielding calls and making sure that people understand right now that um, abortion is still legal in our state and in many of the states that will eventually be impacted by this ruling. And um, what, are, what are you telling patients in, say, St. Louis, other states with trigger laws that neighbor Illinois? What should they know? We want people to call their clinics and to make sure um, to confirm their appointments, check what's happening with their clinics particularly. Clinics um, have been preparing this for a long time as well. They're in a position to help you go somewhere else. Um, you can also reach out to the local abortion fund. Go to abortionfunds.org um, to find out who can support you in getting to your appointment. There is a network standing by that has been doing this work for decades, and um, we we are not going to stop regardless of what this court says. So we're here, and we want to make sure that people understand and aren't caught up in kind of the, the confusion um, of this moment. From what you're hearing, are there legal ramifications for helping out-of-state patients who are uh, seeking abortions in Illinois? Uh, We are sorting through that right now. I got a call from um, an independent abortion provider shortly after the news came out um, who has been supporting people um, in the Chicagoland area for some years, and she was asking me, is she going to be criminalized? Can she be arrested? Um, this is a clinic owner, a small independent clinic. Um, right now, we believe that, that it is 
okay to continue to per perform abortions, but we are hoping that um, we have some state protections enacted for providers, for people who do the work we do at the Chicago Abortion Fund, for people um, working to bring people into our state. And what volunteering opportunities might there be for people in Illinois who want to do some of this help? Um, right now, we really need people to um, get together in their communities and fundraise. It's really important. This is going to take a lot of money to support people accessing care. The Chicago Abortion Fund um, will spend close to a million dollars this year, probably more given this news. Um, we are a very small fund. A few years ago, our budget was around $275,000. So it's really important that we um, have people. You can have a house party for um, for abortion funds. Um, another thing you can do is have conversations about abortion in your community. Say the word abortion. Talk about it. Talk about why it's important. Um, this helps people. The majority of people in this country did not want to see this day happen, but we have been quiet for far too long. We've been scared to say exactly what we mean. We need to stop using euphemisms. No more woman's right to choose reproductive rights. What we want is abortion that is accessible, compassionate, and affirming for all identities safe for everyone who needs it, not burdened by politically motivated restrictions, and affordable and available for all people, no matter who they are. And we need to name that and say it and demand it. Megan Jefio, uh, Jefo, sorry, is the executive director of the Chicago Abortion Fund. There's a lot going on. I'm really sorry about mangling your name, Megan. Um, but thank you for your time. Thank you. And still with us is WBEZ's public health and politics reporter, Kristen Shorsch, who's been keeping an eye on abortion access in our region. Hi there, Kristen. Hey, Mary. So some people this morning who are not uh, diving deep into this news like you have been might think this ruling has come out of nowhere. But there have been legal challenges to Roe over the decades that have limited people's access to abortions all around the country. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, well, if you just think about the Midwest, for example, of how Illinois became even more of this oasis for abortion, you know, we've seen surrounding states um, have more laws restricting abortion access. So, you know, far in advance of Roe v. Wade being overturned, um, required ultrasounds, um, a waiting time between when you meet with a doctor, have some counseling, and then have the abortion. Um, things like that, things that are that are barriers for people who are seeking an abortion. Um and so, you know, that's that's basically like how Illinois has become so robust in terms of become a haven. And then in 2019, Governor Pritzker signed the Reproductive Health Act that codified abortion, looking ahead to Roe v. Wade possibly being overturned. And what are you hearing about how this is going to affect, for example, um, black maternal health? Yeah, people are extremely worried about that. Um, in Illinois, I believe uh, black women have three times of a higher rate of of maternal mortality than white women, for example. There are just really big health disparities. We saw that especially during COVID-19 in the Chicago area and across the country. I um, mean, so when you think about restricting access to abortion, um, you know, a lot of people are concerned that uh, Black, Latino, other people of color already have less access to health care. So is this going to lead to even more death, um, people getting sicker? Obviously, we've heard from a number of people who say abortions are not going to go away. They're just going to become more secretive. So what is that going to look like, um, you know, for particular populations? Let's go to the phones because we are taking your calls today as part of our live special coverage. Terry is in Lakeview. Hi there, Terry. Hi. Um, thanks for taking my call. Uh, what, are, um, what are you thinking today? Well, I'm pretty shocked by the hypocrisy of the pro-life movement that 
talks about a fetus as an innocent life. But as soon as the baby is born, they don't care. I mean, the majority of the women who are seeking abortions are already mothers and are poverty or below uh, low-income women. So by being forced to carry another child, that's going to put strain on their families that may include losing their job, getting evicted, not being able to support the children they currently have. And nobody seems to be concerned about that. So what about the kids that are already alive that we don't seem to uh, want to put the investment in supporting? Thank you for your, your thoughts on that, Terry. And Anthony is checking in from Ravenswood. Hi there, Anthony. Hey, how are you all? What, what, uh, what's on your mind today with all this news? I'm uh, just angry and frustrated. Um, I am a black man here in Chicago, and, um, you know, there are members of my family who have been victims of sexual abuse and sexual assault and incest, and they, you know, had to have abortions. So to think that, you know, a group of men can sit in a room and make decisions about what's right about a woman's body, it absolutely just blows my mind. Uh, And the fact that they are so comfortable saying that women should have children um, and then just really put them off into a system, you know, to be adopted when we know that the adoption system, the foster care system, all of that is broken as well. Like the last caller said, you're just wanting, you know, women to have babies and then just really toss them to the side. Like it just doesn't, it blows my mind. I'm flabbergasted. I'm angry. I'm, I'm just everything right now. And to think, you know, back to what President Biden said about how this really is taking us back to 150 years, you know, um, back in the past. I mean, this is just only the beginning of um, trying to roll back all kinds of rights for black people, for voters' rights, for LGBT rights, for all of it. Like, this is just, it's, we're, we're looking at a fight that's about to just explode. And it, it makes me nervous, it makes me scared, but I'm <sighs> just feeling all kinds of things right now. Well, I appreciate you sharing all those things with us today, Anthony. Thank you for calling into WBEZ today. This is Reset. I'm Mary Dixon in for Sasha Ann Simons. As you've been hearing on WBEZ, Roe v. Wade is no longer the law of the land. The Supreme Court overturned the landmark decision this morning, ending 50 years of federal protections to an abortion. Throughout the show, we've heard from reporters, abortion providers, a woman who had an abortion before Roe, and a bioethicist. Let's turn now to an anti-abortion rights group here in Illinois. Amy Gurkey is executive director of Illinois Right to Life, and she joins us now. Welcome to the show, Amy. Thanks so much for having me on. And just a reminder, we're taking your calls. What's on your mind? How will this decision affect you and those you know? Give us a call at 866-915-WBEZ. Amy, of course, you are already on the line. And how are you feeling today? Uh, We are absolutely overjoyed. Uh, When I started pro-life work uh, about 35 years ago, this is a day that I did not think I would see in my lifetime. And we are completely thrilled that the Supreme Court has made the, you know, taken the bold step, just like the court did in 1954 with Brown versus the Board of Education, to restore protection, to allow states to restore protection to the most innocent members of the human family. 
Before abortions were legal with Roe and in many cases where access to safe abortions is limited, we've been hearing about people who died trying to end their pregnancies. How do you reconcile the push against abortion care with knowing that people are likely to die again in seeking the procedure that is now going to be illegal in so many states? Well, I would say that that is complete hyperbole on many, many different fronts. You know, first, you everyone needs to remember that every abortion takes the life of a preborn children, child who is completely unique, who is alive, who has a heartbeat, who has arms and legs, who, you know, in many cases has measurable brain waves, and leaves his or her mother irrepar- irreparably scarred. And, you know, we know that a lot of the the again hyperbole about women who died prior to Roe versus Wade is just that hyperbole. That being said, um, we know that today abortion is still very dangerous to women. Here in the state of in of Illinois, Governor Pritzker has made abortion incredibly dangerous for women. Uh, he has removed abortion clinics from under the umbrella of ambulatory surgical centers, meaning that they regulate themselves. Abortion clinics are no longer inspected by the state here in Illinois, so nail salons and tanning salons face tougher inspections than abortion clinics. And just last year, Governor Pritzker signed legislation that uh, prevents parents from even being notified before their minor daughters have abortions, which opens the door for sexual predators and human traffickers to uh, cover their crimes with abortions. So... Um, you know, this abortion is not safe in Illinois now, and, you know, kind of the double-edged sword of today's ruling is that we fully expect more women, women to come here to obtain abortions to a state where this procedure is dangerous and women's health has been put at risk in, uh, you know, to advance and increase the profits of the abortion industry. What's your response to critics who say once the baby is born, anti-abortion rights groups don't care about the child's life and making sure they have a decent quality of life for the mother or the child? That is one of the biggest lies of abortion advocates. Um, The pro-life movement does much to help uh, babies and their moms after they're born. Uh, Pregnancy Resource Centers, of which there are 98 here in the state of Illinois, um, their care does not end once the baby is born. Uh, the, these, you know, these clinics that work uh, with no government funding whatsoever walk with women and their children and offer them clothes and baby formula and parenting classes and um, financial classes, you know, all sorts of help after their baby is born. Um, Illinois Right to Life has a program called Project Love that provides uh, direct assistance to young families who might be struggling to parent because of an immediate financial crisis. We provide payment directly to utility companies, landlords, et cetera, so young families can overcome their financial hurdles and parent confidently. They're, and they're, yeah, the pro-life movement is filled with some of the most generous people you will meet. There uh, is some every, concern, I have Amy, if I can just... the people I know who have adopted babies, including babies with special needs and work to help children after they're born. So, Amy, there are there is a concern that um, people who oppose abortion will now look to limit access to contraception. Do you have plans for that? Absolutely not. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, there's been uh, a lot of trying to, you know, shift the focus away from from the matter at hand, which is protecting preborn babies who are alive and human and protecting their mothers as well. 
Um, you know, Justice Alito was very, very, you know, careful to say that this decision does not affect contraception. It doesn't affect gay marriage. It doesn't affect any of the other things that abortion advocates are claiming that it will. This is simply protecting preborn babies and their mothers. Amy Gerke, Executive Director of Illinois Right to Life. Thanks for your time today, Amy. Thank you. And still with us, WBEZ public health and politics reporter Kristen Schorsch. Amy Gerke saying that abortions are more dangerous in Illinois now. Is there any evidence to support that in your reporting? Well, I'm not a physician, but a lot of the providers I've talked to say that abortion is a very safe procedure. It's one of the safest procedures you can have. And and I was looking up some stats during this conversation, and according to the Kaiser Family Foundation, obtaining an abortion is generally very safe, and less than 1% of abortions result in someone having to go to the ER. Um, to put that into context, uh, wisdom tooth removal, 7% of people end up in the ER for that. So mm. as I, like I said, I'm not a doctor, but I, I know providers have pushed back on that. Um, in terms of you know, putting some of what Amy said into context, you know, other people in the pro-life movement who I talked to were talking about, right, how how excited they are for Roe to be overturned, but that it is going to be very hard for them in Illinois to really push their agenda because Illinois currently is so pro-choice, um, you know, in terms of the governor and the state legislature. So they're going to work hard to, in their perspective, they've told me, like, change hearts, change minds, so that they can push laws that would... Um, you know, further their agenda. Let's squeeze in a few more calls because we've been trying to get everyone's uh, reactions and perspective today. Um, Andrea in Rogers Park is on the line. Hi there, Andrea. Hi, Mary. How are you? Well, I'm interested to hear what you are thinking today. It's a pretty big day, huh? Pretty big day. I feel pretty disappointed by older generations right now. Um, They had like 50 years and they just like sat on their hands and just let right slowly, like, slip away. And now it's like our generation will not have the same rights as the one who came before us. And it's pretty demoralizing. Um, I'm mad at Obama. He had the supermajority. He could have done this. Um, He could have passed a constitutional amendment. But on a personal note, I'm scared. I have um, had reproductive health issues. I had endometriosis and adenomyosis. And I couldn't get doctors in the state of Illinois to believe me. And I had to travel out of state um, to get the medical care that I needed. And I had to, like, persuade doctors that I needed a hysterectomy at 29. Um, And I know Jesus held my hand that whole time while while I had to make the decision to end my fertility. And it made me realize that reproductive rights and reproductive health, you're the only person as a woman who knows what's going on with your body, who knows your hormones, who knows your health. Um, And I shouldn't be lucky. I shouldn't be lucky that I got the care that I needed. Um, But I do know that Jesus is with every woman who's having a hard time and having to make a big choice because he was with me. So um, I just want women to stay strong. I want men to help. Um, And we're going to get through this. Well, Andrea, I know this is very emotional for you, and I appreciate you sharing that with us here on WBEZ. Thanks for your call, Andrea, in Rogers Park. Want more context on the top issues of the day? Find the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.